Father, we have so many things that, um, that we can thank you for when we look at this um, uh, amazing nation that you have placed us in. We have so many luxuries, we have so many freedoms, um, we have um, all these things that, that make this life so easy here. Um, but Father, we are reminded um, over the past week that we cannot simply allow things to just carry out to follow their own course here in this nation. We're reminded that we need to be a part of the solution in this nation. And so Lord, I lift up the United States of America. I, I lift up our future here. And I ask that you would bring revival to this nation. That we as a people would turn to you. That we would guide other people to you. Um, so that we are once again placing you at the center of who we are as a country. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have just allowed things to happen around us. Uh, forgive us as, as a nation for the things that we're just letting go and not affecting here. Um, help us to step into what you have given us to do here, to be light and salt and to point people to you on a regular basis. God, let this church be a part of the solution for the U.S. Um, let us be a part of the solution for our community here. Let us bring light and hope and peace and joy as we point people to you. Father, we need your guidance in this, and we need the power of your Holy Spirit to come. And we ask that you would turn things in the right direction again and um, use us to be part of that process. We commit ourselves to this end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we continue in our discussion of faith, um, I want to bring back into focus one critical aspect of our faith that is so easy to overlook. And it's easy to overlook because we very often overlook the hard things. And we focus on the easy or encouraging things in our study of the Christian faith. We've talked in this series about many different aspects of our faith that are, are easy to talk about. Uh, for example, I have thoroughly enjoyed exploring the concept of abiding in Christ. There's so many incredible experiences that are waiting for us in the experience of being in Christ. This week you'll find uh, in your bulletin on the insert that you've got there um, another challenge for you to attempt over the next seven days here. And I hope these things have been useful. I've gotten a lot of feedback about those uh, devotions and exercises that you've been walking through these past few weeks. Um, there's another one there. Last week the, the challenge focused on the reading of Scripture, on developing that habit in your life daily this week, the focus shifts to looking at a brief passage or a couple of verses and then reflecting on what it is you just read that day. And by reflecting, I mean holding up your life against what Scripture teaches and contemplating where you're at with the instruction that is before you there in the Word of God. Um, this is not intended to be an easy exercise. Um, I'm not particularly looking forward to it myself, but I know it needs to be done in my life. It needs to become a regular discipline in my life. Later today, there, our challenge will be to think further about what we're going to study this morning together. And then as we progress through the week, we'll look at how we're doing personally in areas like obedience, purity, encouragement, humility, our witness, and our praise life. And I want to encourage you to take up this challenge. Just do it. Um, give 15 minutes each day to this specific exercise um, and practice a discipline that's going to draw you closer to Jesus Christ and increase your continuous experience of abiding in him. That's where these challenges were intended to lead us.
into a, a deeper experience of abiding in Christ. And I, I hope that you'll be able to find a discipline or two here that encourage you and increase your awareness of your position in Christ daily and your experience of his power daily. So this morning as we continue looking at our faith, um, I want to bring back into light something that we very easily assign to the shadows. I want to talk about something that we as Christ followers have reduced to fine print instead of highlighting. See, we spend a lot of time wrapping ourselves in the soft, warm blanket of the positive aspects of the gospel. And there are many, many positive aspects of our faith. They're all true. They're very good But there are some things about our faith that are very hard to accept and even harder to put into practice. But our faith, however, is not complete without them. In my faith journey, I've I've grown in understanding what Christ has to offer me. And I hope that you have too. As I've spent time in the Word, I've found that my confidence grows. I've found my sense of self-worth increase. I've seen a, a dramatic increase in the level of peace in my life. I've experienced an increase in joy. I've grown in my ability to lead others. I've grown in my ability to teach the word of God. I've deepened my relationship with my Savior. I've become more dependent on him and his power. I am abiding in Christ in an ever-increasing way. There have been many, many positive things that have taken place in my life. And that's what we all want, isn't it? We all want those things. We want that positive, abundant life that we've been talking about. We want that life that's marked by strength and wisdom and peace and all those things that we see in the Bible and in the lives of great, mature believers. And for many of us, for myself included, that's what's been presented to us to draw us to faith in Jesus Christ. I think the American church in general is presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that it appears to be the most beautiful, satisfying, healing experience imaginable. And it is. The things that have been presented to me throughout my life in evangelistic settings have been glorious. Come to Christ and your broken heart will be healed. Your, your life will take on purpose. You'll discover your true value as a person. You'll find peace in Christ. You'll find joy, strength, hope, perspective. All true In fact, I'm quoting some material from my own previous sermons, even in this series this fall. So am I leading you astray by doing this? No, not at all. Like I said, these things are all true. They're all good. But if all I do is present you with the self-satisfying aspects of the gospel that I'm speaking of, I am not being obedient to my calling as a teacher of the word of God. And on a significantly dangerous level, I'm doing something that could do far more damage than good to all of us. An incomplete gospel, I think, is more harmful than no gospel at all. Let me explain what I mean. Um, As we see Christ, and as we see what he has to offer us, we're drawn to those things. We see his love, his grace and mercy his forgiveness, his loving kindness, his compassion, his gentleness, his comfort, his peace, his protection, his wisdom, his power, all the things that he has to offer us. And he wants to give us those things. He really does. He's a very generous savior. He took our place and bore the punishment for our sin. We should have died, but he died for us so that we could receive eternal life. It's all wonderful. It's almost too wonderful to be true when you think about it but it is true. 
Christ is very, very generous towards us. But if that's all we see and all we know of this thing called faith, we're in trouble. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and if we believe that he came to earth, was crucified for our sake, rose from the dead, and is coming back to take us to be with him forever, but stop at all that he has to offer us and all he's done for us, we're missing something. We're missing something. And our faith is limited to a self-satisfying, self-fulfilling, self-dignifying, self-centered faith. We remain at the center of our lives. And we use what we call faith to build ourselves up to help us cope with our lives. Do you think this is really Christ's intent for us? Do you think that his desire is simply to see our sense of self-worth increase? To give us whatever we need to have a healthy self-esteem? Do you think Christ's definition of faith is man-centered? We're going to see this morning that his definition of faith is clearly not man-centered. Well, he is indeed generous and well, he does indeed want to bless us, our glorification is not the end goal of his work on the cross. He has a bigger purpose in mind and we need to listen to him tell us what that purpose is for us. The challenge that we'll face in Realizing and accepting this truth is that it goes directly against the values of the culture that we live in right here. Uh, More and more, as I've observed over the years, man is given the central and highest place in life. So many of the shifts taking place in society are pushing us to a place where everyone has to be highly regarded by us no matter what their perspective or behavior demonstrates. Healing and wholeness are now secondary Self-esteem is the highest value. No matter what you're facing, dealing with, or carrying as a burden, the answer for you in this society is to believe that you're okay and that you're valuable. Believe in yourself. Believe that you are worthy. And so people all around us are looking for things to make them feel that, to make them feel good about themselves. And we are too. Church is one place that people can go to make them feel better about themselves. And soon our faith becomes just another source of self-esteem boosting experiences. We remain at the center. And the things that we hear in church affirm what the world tells us. The answer to all our problems is realizing that we are very valuable and that our self-worth is enough to carry us through whatever it is that we're facing. Uh, It would be very easy for me and and for Peter to put our preaching efforts into telling you nothing but the things that will boost your self-worth. You've already heard many such things from us. Um, I've spent a lot of time walking you through the way that God sees you. I've spent a lot of time in my office reminding people who are struggling with things and wondering if they're worth anything to anybody that they are of infinite value to God. And I'll continue to do that. That's not my intention this morning. I can't neglect to remind you also of some very difficult things that Jesus said himself about our faith. Our faith is not simply believing all the good, warm, fuzzy, encouraging things that the Bible says about us. 
Some of what you hear and see in the incredible word of God is difficult to accept, it's difficult to believe, it's difficult to put into practice. But those things without question are an essential part of God's message to his creation. We've been warned about this trend that we're seeing around us uh, more than once. Listen to Paul's very painful words to Timothy regarding what's ahead. This is from 1 Timothy 3, the first three verses. Paul writes this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. We live in an age of self-love. We live in an age that's well described by Paul in his letter to Timothy. Ours is a man-centered world in which a man-centered faith fits very well. But as I'm sure you already know, this is not God's design for our relationship with him. He is not there to wait on us. He is not there to supply all the self-esteem that we need. Our relationship with him is not about getting what we want. There is so much more involved than what fits in with this world's model. So let's spend a little time reflecting on a passage of scripture that communicates Jesus' desire for our relationship with him, for our faith. And as hard as this may be to accept and live out, this, this is what Jesus wants for us among all the things that he wants to do for us and give us. So turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. We're going to look at verses 23 through 26 to start with and then go from there. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. This is Jesus addressing his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is Jesus' view of self. And it's not an easy view to accept. Jesus put a condition on his followers, on us. And there is nothing we can do for Jesus to take the place of this denial that he's requiring of us. We must deny ourselves. And doing that to the level Jesus is talking about here comes with a great cost. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is at the core of our experience as Christ followers. 
Um, I know that some of you wrestle with this kind of surrender. I've heard it from you. I know that some of you want all the self-satisfying aspects of faith in Christ. And this is the practice that you're struggling with. But this is a non-negotiable for Jesus. This message from Jesus begins with the word, if. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it's going to take. If you want to truly abide in Christ, not just abide with the idea of Christ, this is what it's going to take. And I know it can be a scary concept. But this self-denial is absolutely, absolutely necessary. Let's talk through this passage for a few minutes here. And and let me ask you to please spend some more time than this reflecting on this truth. Um, We can be easily distracted when it comes to things that we really don't want to face. Um, Just ask my wife how easy it is for me to avoid fixing the ridiculously long list of things that need to be fixed in my house. Um, I don't want to face the broken dryer uh, or the kitchen light that needs replacing or that stupid coat rack that won't stay in the wall um, or, the mount, or mounting that lamp that I bought her four years ago or painting our sunshine yellow bathroom. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, like self-denial, I'm, I'm not too excited about getting to those things, but we have to do this. We have to do this. Let's talk briefly about five aspects of this truth that Jesus spoke in Luke 9. There's so much here. Uh, First of all, this is a foundational truth. This is a foundational truth. When Jesus spoke these words, he was in the process of equipping these disciples to join him in his mission. Um, It's just at the beginning of Luke 9 that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And when they return from their first journey without having Jesus along, he's doing some foundational teaching with them. They've witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 and and had been told by Jesus to feed the crowd themselves. Then he tells them in verse 22 that he's going to die. And that's where this command to deny themselves and take up their crosses comes in. Now, here's something that's critical in how we receive this passage. Jesus is telling his disciples to deny themselves and take up their cross daily long before he himself was actually crucified. It's one thing to see Jesus come through something and survive and then call others to be willing to do the same. It's completely different when you're being called by Jesus to take up your cross, but You haven't seen him do it himself yet. I want us to go there in our minds this morning. Um, Imagine that you're being called by Jesus to be willing to do this, but he hasn't even done it himself yet. And we'll talk in a few minutes about what it means to use the image of a cross when telling someone that they need to carry theirs. There are some foundational truths that God intended for us to hear more than once So he had them preserved in the Bible in more than one place. And and this is one of those truths. So you don't need to go there, but just listen to the words of Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. It's going to sound very familiar. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, I really think that Jesus wants us to get this. 
It's a message we have to accept as foundational. This is not a gray area. What we'd love to think of as fine print is not fine print at all. This is a foundational truth in the Christian faith. Secondly, this is also a spiritual truth. This is a spiritual truth. Jesus is speaking here with the assumption that we know that we are primarily spirit. Our identity as those created by God in his image and created to live eternally is that of being first and foremost spirit. That's who we are. That's the part of us that will live forever. So when Jesus speaks in Luke 9, 24 to 25, he's speaking of our spirits. He says that if we're working to save our spirits, we're going to lose them. Only he can save our spirits. So he's asking us to surrender our spirits to him. And he clarifies that by confronting the pursuit of wealth and earthly security He questions what good it is for someone to acquire the whole world, all its earthly things, and yet lose the one eternal thing they have, their spirit. What good is it for someone to gain everything materially and yet forfeit or give up themselves? And Jesus makes a clear distinction here between ourselves and our stuff. They're not related. None of our stuff can bring hope for our spirits. None of it. We get worried about this, however, when we're faced with this idea of surrendering fully to Christ, don't we? If we do fully surrender, we stress, he's going to take it all away, and that scares us. All that we've worked so hard to accumulate could be gone. All that we find such joy in could suddenly disappear And Jesus is simply saying in this passage that he wants our attitude toward the potential loss of our stuff to be, so what? So what? No matter how much it is, it's not worth holding on to. No matter how little it is, it's not worth holding on to. My spirit is what's at stake and it needs to be handed over fully and freely to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the truth that Jesus speaks here in our passage is also an eternal truth. It is an eternal truth. Uh, We just touched on this. The exchange that Jesus is asking for here is an exchange of something temporal, something that will one day end for something that will never end. And we have to acknowledge this reality. Eternity is something that you cannot reason your way into accepting. Our lives had a starting point. We were born. We celebrate that fact for many years in our life and then stop celebrating it when we can start to see that it's going to end in less time than it took us to get to this point from our birth. Birthdays aren't so fun anymore. Uh, My sons get more excited about my birthdays than I do. Uh, My parents were here last month to visit for for just two and a half days and their visit landed on my birthday. And uh, so we were out for for dinner that night after a great day of driving down Highway 61 to La Crosse and back. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful day. Uh, we saw 24 eagles and just, it was great. God uh, filled the car with apples. We stopped for dinner on the way back and at this restaurant they had um, a deal where if it's your birthday that day, um, they'll give you a free dessert. And uh, so I, I picked this great looking molten chocolate cake and I asked for spoons to share it. 
Uh, well, it came to the table, and um, everybody, everybody jumped in. And before I knew it, there was literally one bite left on the plate, and I hadn't even tasted it yet. Uh, everybody else was so excited about the cake, and I was so excited about sharing it with my sons that I almost didn't even get a bite. Uh, I chuckled in my mind over how real this battle is inside us when it comes to denying ourselves and trading in our temporary earthly lives for eternal lives. Um, I'll get something even better than molten chocolate cake every day for eternity when I get to heaven. I'll get Jesus. So who cares what I get now? Who cares? I don't have the fancy house, the cool cars, the nice toys, the nice lawn, the American dream, relatively speaking, and remember where I've lived and what I've seen. Um, I don't have any status that I'm aware of, none. I'm not an important sought-after man. I don't get asked to sit on panels of experts because, as it turns out, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm lucky if I get one bite of my own birthday cake. (laughs) But I don't care. I don't care. I get Jesus forever. And that's enough for me. Is that enough for you? Seriously, is that enough for you? He's asking us to give up our quest to get the best that we can out of this temporal life and give it to him. This life is nothing and we won't truly see heaven and its reality if our eyes are focused on the here and now all the time. We've got to take phrases like life is short and you only live once right out of our vocabulary. Eternity with Christ is ours. Let go of your life. You're clinging to something that will not last. Let it go. This is such an important truth here in Luke 9. It's a foundational truth. It is a spiritual truth. It is an eternal truth. It's also a costly truth. This is a costly truth. Jesus says, deny yourself. Let that sink in. Deny yourself. Who are you? What do you want? What's important to you? What would you do to defend or protect yourself? What are your dreams and goals for your life? What do you see when you look into your future? What boundaries have you set for yourself? Are you willing to give up all those things for Christ? All of them? Are you willing to let go of your preferences, your goals and dreams, your defense mechanisms? Are you willing to deny yourself? He said, deny yourself. Deny your place at the center of your life. Deny your need to look out for and look after yourself. Be willing to turn over complete control of your earthly life to Jesus Christ. That's hard to do. That comes with a high cost. And Jesus knows that the cost can be high. 
In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus talked about confessing him as Lord and Savior. And then in verses 34 to 38, listen to what he says. Listen to these words from Jesus. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the world. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. It's hard to read when you have sons. and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, listen, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are very strong words. Jesus is asking for all of us. We hold nothing back. We deny ourselves. Following Jesus costs us everything. I think this is one of the hardest, if not the hardest, aspect of our faith to come to terms with. This is the leap of faith. This is the cliff that we jump off, needing to be fully confident that God has his glory and our best in mind when we jump. This is a trust issue, and here's where pride keeps us from God. We don't trust him. So many people I talk to are stuck here because they think that God's going to do them or their loved ones some kind of wrong. We want to protect ourselves and those we love from any kind of hardship during this brief time on earth. And we neglect to consider eternity. We neglect to consider God's character. We neglect to consider that our future is securely in his hand. Remember that Jesus had to go through this struggle himself. Uh, We've seen already this morning that Jesus could see the cross in his future, yet he called us to take up our cross. He knew what he was talking about and he showed us the way. Um, Remember his time in the garden leading up to his crucifixion. He agonized with his father over what was about to take place. He didn't just smile his way through this this terrifying time. He pleaded with his father to get around what lay ahead. But at the peak of that struggle came these words, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus denied himself, giving up everything. And now he lives forever. What is he doing? He's experiencing the same joy that awaits you and me. The final point on this passage is this. This is a shameful truth. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross, he's not telling us that he wants us to sacrifice everything. 
that we are to decide what we're going to do as an act of denying ourselves and, and that we're going to choose suffering to prove our self-denial. He's not looking to judge our acts of self-denial. He's looking for a willingness in us to meet him in the shame of the cross. And that's far more costly than anything that we could come up with on our own to sacrifice. Here's how serious he is about taking us, about taking up our cross, about us taking up our cross. This is the level of willingness that he desires from us. Crucifixion at Jesus' time was about as low an act as any society has ever, ever demonstrated. It was a horrific form of capital punishment. It was intended to make the one being crucified suffer as much as possible and in every way imaginable. Anyone who was sentenced to be crucified would have to have been considered the lowliest, most contemptible person in society. Um, The Romans wouldn't even crucify their own people unless they were traitors. It's the only condition under which they would crucify their own people. It was that bad. Crucifixion was reserved for the scum of the earth. Those executed this way were first whipped and then forced to carry their own crossbeam upon which their bodies would be hung. They wore a sign around their neck stating their crime. They were stripped naked and nailed hands and feet to their cross. Victims hung there in front of everyone, trying to pull themselves up by their arms to catch a breath of air, or using their legs to push themselves up, relieve the pressure on their lungs, and just breathe. And once they died, their body hung there to be eaten by birds. This form of execution was thankfully later abolished and it never returned. There was no more powerful statement of shame than being crucified. You were identified as scum, you were treated as less than human, and you died in utter humiliation. And Jesus says to you and to me, follow me. I went there for you, and I want you to be willing to go there for me. He's asking us to be willing, not to come up with some act that we think will impress him with our humility. He's asking us to be willing to go all the way to the cross with him. Wearing a cute little cross necklace is not taking up your cross. Sticking a little fish on the back of your car, not taking up your cross. Being willing to stand out a little. No, you're not there. Being willing to lose your job because of your faith, you're still not there. Being willing to go to jail for your faith, not there yet. Being willing to be counted as the most insignificant, despised, contemptible person on the planet for Jesus Christ. Now you're taking up your cross. He wants it all. All of it. His words to us in Luke 9 and other places that we've looked at make up a very shameful truth. We have to be willing to face that shame. This hard truth is a very essential truth in our faith. It's a foundational truth, a spiritual truth, an eternal truth, a costly truth, truth, and a shameful truth. We are to deny ourselves 
take up our crosses and follow Christ. Then and only then can God raise us up to the eternal life that he has prepared to give us in exchange for ours. That's not the fine print of our faith. It's the heart of the gospel. Accept it, embrace it, and be obedient to it. I'm going to invite the ushers and the worship team to come up now and we'll get ready to close our service. But while they're getting set, I want to close by reading a prayer for you that was circulated back in the 1970s. Um, And then we'll pray together to close our service this morning. This is the prayer that we should have on our minds daily. Listen to this prayer and make it yours. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess everything, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, and thy life in my death. Father, we need you this morning. We need you to make this real for us this morning. There's part of me that's really glad, Lord, that that Jesus asked us to do something so serious, so hard. But when we look at all that he endured for our sake, shape our hearts to respond to that with a yes, Lord, I am willing to do that. God, help us destroy ourselves that stand in the way of experiencing this. Strip away the things that are keeping us from removing ourselves from the center of our lives and the center of our faith. We want our temporal life to be replaced with eternal life. You've given us this promise of eternal life and now you're asking us to deny ourselves, to deny this thing here. And Lord, I know you're not just gonna bring horrible things on every one of us as we do it. We don't have to worry about that. I love my life right now, I do. You didn't replace my previous life with something terrible. You gave me something awesome. You gave me that experience of daily abiding in Jesus Christ. The rest doesn't matter. For everyone, Lord, that is holding back, that is too scared to just deny themselves because of what they think you might do or what they've heard you might do, God, get them past it. 
Get them past the fear to the point where they trust you totally, wholly for what you have in mind for them. Give us the courage, Father, to just deny ourselves, to remove ourselves from the center. Thank you for all the blessings that you've poured out on us, the grace that we see extended to us daily, even if we haven't been able to remove ourselves from the center. You still love us that much, and we praise you for that. Help us now to be obedient to the words of Christ, to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses every single day, to be willing to go that far with Jesus and to follow him. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.